Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Great to have you with us on the show today. We'll get back to the Mark D'Antonio resignation. Now I got to go to a press conference tonight. We're arriving at 6:30. Press conference starts at 6:30. We'll be in the Breslin Center. We're not on until 7.30. So Dick Girardi just called me because Dick just got into Detroit and he's driving up. He said, hey, can I pick you up? And, I, and we'll drive over together. He said, no, I'll just go over to the team bus. It's easy. You just you know, you go right down the tunnel. I said, what the heck? I said, we'll be there by 6.30 when the press conference starts. He goes, what press conference? I said, D'Antonio resigned. He goes, what? <laughs> I said, yeah. So we'll sit there and this will be an intriguing 15 to 30 minutes of watching this and we'll get into more of it tomorrow uh, Tim Kelly in a few moments first our play-by-play call of the day now they don't put pressure on the inbound passer going for the lob down court Devin Vassell gets by a defender by Leaky Black goes up slam dunk city that's how you beat the press you do it Devin Vassell 61-54 it's my old friend Gene Deckerhoff longtime Florida State Play-by-play guy, longtime Tampa Bay Buccaneers play-by-play guy. He's announced national championships, he's Super Bowls, and he's announcing a really good basketball team this season in Florida State. Really good. Back to more of the Mark D'Antonio situation in a moment. But first we bring in Tim Kelly. Tim, how have you been? I've been well, Steve. How about you? Doing very well. Thanks for the uh, time you're giving us today. We appreciate it a lot. Uh, this, this is a big decision, obviously. When you want to put a statue to somebody up front uh, in front of the building, what went into this decision? Because obviously Roy Halladay and the connection to Penn State with his son coming here to Penn State to be a pitcher. So there's a deep connection here as well. So what do you, what do you think uh, about this decision? What went into it? I think a lot that went into it is that Roy Halladay is one of the most popular players that's ever played for this organization, and he did certainly have a short peak in terms of how long he was really good. He pitched four seasons for the Phillies, 12 in Toronto, and really the first two seasons were the only ones where he was really Roy Halladay. But lots of people look back at those two seasons as some of the most memorable of their lives. I know at the end of 2019 when we were going through countdowns of the best seasons individual players had, I had number one and number two were his 2010 and 2011 seasons. So a lot of people look back at Roy Halladay as maybe the most dominant Philadelphia athlete they've seen in their lifetime, certainly in the last 15 to 20 years. And I think with that and the fact that he had been inducted into the Hall of Fame last uh, summer, the Phillies elected to have his number retired. All right, so now uh, you know, when he threw the no-hitter in the playoffs against the Reds, I mean, we just talked uh, recently about Don Larson passing away and his perfect game. Uh, now, Halliday pitched the second no-hitter. What was it like watching that as you know, you're going through game one of the playoffs of the Reds and he's doing this? 
it was one of those moments where I think you knew like around the fifth or sixth inning that if there's anyone that's going to do this in their first playoff start ever, it's Roy Halladay. I remember when he was inducted onto the Wall of Fame a couple summers ago, Mike Schmidt talking about how the first time he met Roy Halladay, he was almost intimidated by Roy Halladay. This is Mike Schmidt, the, the greatest third baseman of all time, was intimidated, intimidated by him, and Roy Halladay was intimidated by nothing and no one. So for him to come out and do that in his first playoff appearance, uh, it, it almost felt par for the course for Roy Halladay, which isn't something you would say for very many people in the history of organized sports. So uh, it, it was one of the most memorable days, and obviously the Phillies have won two World Series titles, but I think when you ask someone outside of Pennsylvania that doesn't really have any connection to the Phillies, what moment in Phillies history comes to mind, it's absolutely the Roy Halladay playoff no-hitter because teams have won World Series, teams win World Series every year, Two people in MLB history have thrown no-hitters in the playoffs, and Roy Halladay's one of them. It's interesting. Penn State was getting ready for the 2010 uh, Outback Bowl. Uh, and, in fact, it would end up being Urban Meyer's last game as the head coach of Florida in the end. It was also the last bowl game Joe Paterno coached. And Joe was telling me the Phillies were very gracious. They let Penn State practice in Clearwater. And he said, "He said you won't believe this, Steve." He says, "Here's like like right after Christmas, they're down there. It was a New Year's Day game." He says, "Roy Halladay's down here." He says, "Working out and working and working, working." And then he took a lot of time to talk with Joe and a couple of other people. And he said, "He's such an impressive guy." But that told you about the work. That told me about the intense work ethic of this guy. That here it is between Christmas and New Year's, and he's the only Philly down there working. Yeah, I mean, he had a a legendary uh, work ethic, and I think that's something that we say about lots of great athletes, and it's true in most cases, but Roy Holiday took that even to another level, and it was one of the reasons he was able to have he didn't have a long career overall, but his peak was so sustained and so successful. And a majority of it came in the American League East with a lot of guys that had extra enhancements uh, during that time. So uh, for him to have that peak, he needed that uh, work ethic. And that's uh, really his legacy, I think, is how hard he worked. How was he with the media? It was a bit before my time covering the team, but my understanding is he... I don't think he was someone that sought out uh, media attention necessarily, but I I never got the impression that he was unfriendly to people. But he is this kind of like larger-than-life character. Like, you you look back at Roy Halladay, it's hard for me, even as someone that was observing the team at that time, to look back and say, oh, I remember this specific press conference. And there were certainly a ton of great moments but I just remember Roy Halladay on the mound, and he was kind of one of those people. There's certain artists that are like this too that you don't really want to get into their world. You want to just think of them as this like almost mythical cult-like figure that they are when they're in their element, and that's kind of how Roy Halladay was. Uh, what kind of impression, Tim, did you get if you had the opportunity to uh, to uh, observe to talk to others about what kind of clubhouse guy he was? He was strong. He's a lead-by-example guy is always the, the impression I got. And his work ethic is something that emanated not only in the Phillies clubhouse but across the league. And I, I remember an article coming out 
shortly after his passing. It might have been in Deadspin. I don't remember for sure where uh, a player said that he was your favorite player's favorite player. And I, I think that speaks to it. These guys see so many tremendous players and all-time greats and Hall of Famers that when they're in awe almost of watching someone, that kind of puts in perspective how legendary of a career that that player had. Uh, Obviously, this was a time where, what, they had Cole Hamels, they had Cliff Lee, they had Roy Halladay. In some ways, as exciting a time was it when you look back on it, was it in some ways an unfulfilled time? To a degree. I mean, 2011 is the the best Phillies regular season in terms of wins that they've ever had. I think it was the most magical season because – something that I never thought would happen and may never happen again in Philadelphia where people nationally were jealous of Philadelphia happened and they didn't (laughs) win a World Series that year so uh, and then after that things kind of collapsed for a variety of reasons lots of guys Halliday included kind of hit a wall after 2011 so yeah to a degree I do think of that but I I look at Roy Halliday those first two years he was in Philadelphia and it, it was just kind of amazing because every single time he took the ball you expected him to throw a complete game so yeah I think it is like a footnote on his time in Philadelphia that yeah it kind of stinks that he didn't win a World Series but that's not his legacy in Philadelphia him and the same goes for Cliff Lee obviously Cole Hamels was on the 2018 but that group you say it's disappointing they didn't win it but that will always be one of the most memorable seasons in team history Oh, absolutely. Look, to me, you know what that tells you? And this goes back to something I discussed yesterday following the Super Bowl, Tim. It tells you how hard it is to win. I mean, Andy Reid had some great teams over his 21 years, and he finally wins his first Super Bowl. It just shows you how hard it is to win. Yeah, I mean, the the Phillies that season, and I've been told this by people that played for other teams, people have no connections to the Phillies that write about other teams that was one of the most amazing starting pitching rotations they've ever seen and the year the Phillies won was the year they had Cole Hamels who came of age early and then a collection of Brett Myers who was probably a better hitter that postseason than pitcher, Jamie Moyer Joe Blanton, like it really wasn't a who's who, but they had a great bullpen and a great offense that year and timely hitting and the opponents they faced at different times. It is very, very difficult to win. It's very difficult the stretch they had to be playing in those type of games for five years straight. It's very difficult. So it is disappointing. It will always be disappointing to people how that 2011 season ended, but it remains one of the most amazing seasons I've ever seen, and obviously Roy Halladay was at the forefront of that. We really appreciate your time, Tim. Great job. No problem. Looking forward to the season, Steve. Yeah, be, for one thing, I'm looking. I'm sitting here in freezing rain. Okay, so I'm looking forward. <laughs> I'm looking forward to anything right now. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Yep. We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Great to have you with us. The story of the day, which uh, affects Penn State, deals with Mark D'Antonio. Uh, 
resigning today. He put out a statement just before 3 o'clock, just before the show began. He will have a press conference evidently at 6.30 tonight. Steve, I have a question for you to ask Coach Dan, or former Coach D'Antonio. And I'm not asking any questions. Well, here's the question you know now. Hear me I, out. I want to stand in the back. <laughs> well, raise your hand and say, excuse me, Coach, do you think um, Urban Meyer should replace you at Michigan State? Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. No offense. I don't think that's Oh, okay. Option. Well, just a I thought. Can't, just I a, can't. Let's start with this. I can't see Shelly Myers saying, "Hey, that's a great idea." Yeah. <laughs> I just can't. I can't picture that. Steve, in above all the hubbub in Michigan State, uh, there's a basketball game tonight. Yeah. At Breslin, and I guess the Lions are already in town and probably chafing at the bit to get over to the Breslin Center for the tip-off at eight o'clock. Can you just give us a summary of what you expect to see out of both teams tonight? Well, I expect there to be some pace in the game tonight. These are two teams that want to get out and run. And Michigan State's the kind of team that wants to run uh, after. Don't celebrate. You make a play, don't celebrate, because they're going to run it right back down the floor. So they're always in gear pushing forward. Cassius Winston is a brilliant college point guard. He And to be honest with you, this is a Michigan State team that is very reliant on Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman. Michigan State's had some great, great players here over the years. Great players. And usually they've had not just great players, but they've had so many on, on a team at once that they became a very difficult team as to, okay, pick your poison. This guy, this guy, or this guy, or this guy. They have some really good players on this team but uh, I will say this it really is reliant on Winston and Tillman everybody else really falls into place now a guy that's going to be a really good player for them is Rocket Watts the freshman hurt early in the year they kind of sat him down for a little while because they just said look you're not quite playing at 100% he has played very well of late. And, in fact, on a day where a lot of guys did not play well at Wisconsin, Watts did. Malik Hall is another freshman that will start tonight. Tough as nails in the post. He, he brings them toughness and grit, even though he is not uh, – he's still getting his game in gear, but he's a tough, hard-nosed player for them. Henry and, and Brown and, and uh, Lawyer – Lawyer's a three-point shooter, no getting around. He comes in with one ID. He wants to get to outside that line. He wants to take a shot. He's a 50-percenter, too. He's like 18 to 36. And Brown and Henry are, a lot of ways, the same kind of guy. Henry's a better player than Brown. But Henry is one of those guys that I think they expected him to make greater strides than he has. And I thought last year at the Jordan Center, he was the guy that was the difference maker when – Michigan State beat Penn State. But they'll move the ball up and down the floor. And one of the great matchups tonight, the matchup inside the matchup tonight, is going to be Jamari Wheeler against Cassius Winston. Winston is a cut above anybody Wheeler has faced this year. Yet Wheeler in back-to-back games against point guards, against Rob Finnessy and against uh, Camp Mack. Mack's averaging about 13 a game, Finnessy about 7 or 8 a game. So you're talking about two guys that are like, 22, 23 points a game between them. 
and they scored zero against him. Zero. Kyra Lewis, who was many projected out of Alabama as a first-round pick, I've seen him projected as high as 15 to, six, 15 to 20, All right? got totally shut down by Jamari Wheeler. So can Wheeler have an effect on Cassius Winston tonight because very little does have an effect on Cassius Winston. By the way, just so everybody knows, Braden Holiday, Roy's son, is on on the Penn State baseball team, just wow. so you know. Now, I just want to make sure everybody remembers that. Steve, how important is it for Lamar Stevens to stay out of foul trouble? Well, he has to. But you know what's interesting is that Tillman, for example, Tillman is a terrific offensive rebounder, a really good offensive rebounder. So is the Michigan State team. They crash the boards. But Tillman and Winston don't want to foul because they there is an understanding of their importance of being on the floor. Tillman and, and Winston are not guys that foul. Thus, you can exploit that and use that against them. And I think that's going to be one of the keys tonight. Can Penn State do enough to exploit that part of it and use it against them where, you know, you're going to play a little softer defensively because you don't want to foul. And I think that will be important tonight. So it's going to be uh, interesting. It's going to be interesting how the crowd is tonight because the D'Antonio news just came out of the out of, out of the blue. I mean, wow. Um I don't. I, I did. I don't really know how anybody's going to react tonight. Steve, did you say that one of the players from Michigan State's first name is Rocket? Well, I mean that's not a sense. I understand, nickname. but Steve, I have to tell that poor guy from Michigan State, there is only one Rocket in college sports, and his name last name is Ismail from Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Well, there's there Rocket, there's Rocket Richard. Yeah, but that was <laughs> hockey a hundred years ago. Is Roger the Rocket Clemens? Well, yeah, but and then, but, and then, but believe me, you want. I've only seen him on tape, and I've seen him on on TV. Yeah, right. He is fast. <laughs> so so he, Rocket does live up to the nickname. I'll say that, and, and that's you know, and that's the name he goes by. So sure, uh, which is that's perfectly fine. I I think this is. Uh, but I don't know how anybody's going to react to this. And now, Penn State doesn't care about, no offense to uh, Mark D'Antonio. No. Him doing his press conference before the game, they're like, okay, yeah, so what? I'll bet the players don't even know who he is. I was going to say <laughs> that it's not something in their uh, frame of reference, you know, and, I mean, to them, it's going to be, oh, the football coach stepped down? Really? Yeah. Okay, great. Let's if go anything, play. it plays uh, into their hands tonight. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, but the players are going to sit there and go, who? Right? I mean, I don't think that's really going to be uh, – I think if you were to poll them this morning who the football coach was at Michigan State, they'd have looked at it and go, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's some guy. Uh, right? I mean, it, it, because they're locked into their sport and what they oh, do. Yeah. It's not like they don't follow football. I mean, Lamar Stevens follows football. A lot of guys follow football, but not to the point where you sit there and outside of Urban Meyer or somebody like that, you know, you know, you know who the opposing team's football coach is. Especially, no offense, but especially Michigan State. So I get really, yeah. I think it's going to be a very interesting. Now, how important is this game in the Big Ten? Penn State right now is a game and a half out of first place. 
So now, if you win this game tonight, because what's happened is Michigan State still hasn't had its break yet. So Michigan State's played one more game than Penn State has. So if you win tonight, and I don't know who Illinois plays next, uh, but you could you could be possibly a half game out. Now I don't now you'd be a game back because Illinois won't play tonight, but you could be a game out of first place and a half game behind Michigan State. That so, I really mean, helps in the Big Ten tournament. And it gives you, obviously, a really big quad one win. As Bill Parcells would say, a pelt. (laughs) No question about it. More in a moment. We're in East Lansing where all the news is happening today. In sports, that is. Congratulations on Matt Catrillo winning an Iowa delegate. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15, and Hummel's Wharf. Great to have you with us. We're in East Lansing, where tonight the Nittany Lion basketball team, ranked 22nd in the nation, will take on number 16, Michigan State. 8 o'clock, the tip-off tonight, 7.30 will be the airtime. And before the game, an hour and a half before the game at 6.30, Mark D'Antonio, the former Michigan State football coach, will address the media at the Breslin Center to talk about his decision to step down. We've talked about the retention bonus, which was due uh, if he is the head coach on January 15th. He is due a $4.3 million retention bonus. Michigan State has until March 31st to pay it. All right. Let's let's just be honest about it here, okay? How many of you would stick around past January 15th to make sure you qualify for the retention bonus? Let's be honest here. Oh, that would be like everybody. Of course. So even though you sit there and go, oh, like, okay, you go, oh, all you want. But would you do it? (laughs) I can think of 4.3 million reasons why. I mean, what the heck? He's put in, what, 13 years there? That's in his contract? He's brought a lot of uh, greenbacks into the Michigan State uh, hey. bank accounts. I mean, but my point is, just quick show of hands. Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I mean, really? I got me a break. Of course, of course the, let's say, let's be, let's be safe here. The vast majority of you would have waited until after January 15th to take the money. It's just, it's just an interesting sidebar well, to this. Well, now, when you think about this, think of the converse of that. How many players have been, or coaches have been cut because they're due that kind of a bonus. Yes. And uh, I can think of one former Penn State kicker who was in the Super Bowl on Sunday who got cut by a team that has been in desperate need of a kicker since he left. And he was cut purely because they owed him a bonus. Well, and and, and more more than just a bonus. I mean, he was... uh, it's, it's what it, this is a side issue. We'll, sure. get, we'll go back to D'Antonio in a second. Yeah. I was talking to my wife about this the other day. You know, I said, you know, Robbie was with the Bears. He was great. Robbie Gold, talking about. Yeah. I said, but I said, but the bottom line is in the NFL, the more time you get in the league, the more money you are owed. And especially if you're with one organization, the number keeps climbing, climbing, climbing. And finally, even though you may be awesome and incredible. 
they're going to go with the younger, cheaper guy. Yeah, and on the evening that Robbie Gold was cut, uh, it was 9 p.m. on a Sunday, and the new contract year started at 12.01 a.m. Monday bef- right. during the, l- the week of the first league games. He was owed $500,000 million or $500, as part of a $4.5 million contract. Guess what? He wasn't around at 12.01 a.m. Right. on a Monday. Exactly, and this is this, this game is, is played. Yep, this game is played like that all the time, and back and forth on one side of the table or the other. Yeah. So in in this case, here we are on February the fourth. He was the head coach on January fifteenth. They own the money, and it sounds like he wants to stay in the athletic department, which means he's still a current. He would remain a an employee. Yeah, and one of the questions that really could be asked. Uh, in a serious vein at this news conference is, sir, it's been reported that uh, you're working on special projects for the athletic department. Department, Could you name two of those special projects? Cause well, that, and, and, and you know what his answer, you know what his answer would be? Yeah. I just announced my resignation today. We have not worked out what those special projects exactly, are going to be. Exactly, but whenever I hear somebody uh, working on special projects after they've left the high-visibility position, you have to scratch your head and say, what the heck is that about? Well, What, and, what are those I mean, projects? That, that's Urban Meyer. Yeah. Urban Meyer is still on the staff at Ohio State University. I, I think it's... Special projects, yeah. I believe. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'm, no, I'm serious. I think. I think it is. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 you know, hey, they. First of all, when something like this happens and they transition into a job like this, I, I go back to what I said about Ryan Howard years ago when he got that huge contract. Mm-hmm. And the fans are upset. He's not earning his money. How could they give him that money? And as I said, then I'll say now, it wasn't like they put all the people in a room and it turned out that he released them one by one until he got the money. They, in other words, they agreed to give it to him. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing I mean, they how agreed that happens. Give, they agreed to give him the money. It wasn't one of those like, okay, he forced our hand. We'll have to somehow do this. They said yes. Yes, and no one twisted their arms to do so. And that is the problem with all these contracts, Steve, and contract extensions that have gone on in sports, um, where you try to tie somebody up for seven years until you don't need them anymore, and you're stuck with a big contract tail period that's been... um, not going to ever be uh, used by the coach, but the money's still owed. You know, right. just, just, and there's well, nothing and, you do about it. These are, uh, it's a free market out there. It's a free market, but see, you're going to get into cases where you see schools changing coaches. Yeah. And then you start adding up all the money owed, okay? Yeah. Because they have they all the buyouts. Right? There's buyout clause. You're like, holy mackerel, how can you possibly keep yourself above water? Because you've got some, some schools across the country that through firings are right now, including the current coach, paying three guys. Yeah. Uh, I think Florida State is playing, uh, paying, what's his name, Taggart? 
Willie Taggart, yes. Yeah, he's got a few years to go on the contract, even though he's yeah. no longer coaching. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they do these things in lump sum or what the contract reads. I have no idea. Generally speaking, it's a... They write a check. They prorate. They give it a what's called the present value of money. They right. say, in today's market, four million dollars in 2023 is worth 3.2 million because you can take the 3.2 now and in three years you'll have four. Something like that. They can extrapolate out and and take those numbers, reduce them to present value, and here's your check. See you later. Or you can get a $4.3 million retention bonus paid on January yes. 15th. And again, show of hands, how many of you wouldn't take it? I saw Matt Catrillo's hand go up. He said, as a matter of principle, no. But that's Matt. out the door in two minutes. What are you talking about? <laughs> My goodness. I he mean, suddenly, get... suddenly Luke would be out there. College is done. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, Matt would be in the at the bank in about a minute and a half. I mean, the suit would say he wanted it in small bills. Yeah, untraceable. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, it's impressive. I want non-sequential. <laughs> small, untraceable bills, please. You can give it small, to me, you know, a bag of pennies, I don't care. <laughs> small, untraceable bills, non-sequential. <laughs> the, the suit has experience in these areas. Yeah, he does. Not, it's not his first rodeo when it comes to <laughs> when it comes, uh, cash. When it comes to fleecing, he's yes. very good. Yep. <laughs> He's in the back room rolling his eyes. Uh, he's, uh, I went to see him during the break, and he was telling me he's got an important call to make. Yeah, right. So, yeah, well, he's got we, a few we, more Were you ordering out at Burger King? What yeah. are you doing? He's got a few more. Uh, <laughs> no, that'd be Chick-fil-A. Yeah, he's got a few more Chick-fil-A. games to do on his uh, dance card for the Chickalemi Braves, he and the Chief. Ah, the chief, what a guy. Absolutely. I'll tell you right now, you're talking about broad shoulders. All right. Yep. Um. <laughs> hey, so Glenn Shirley, or Glenn Shirley, excuse me, on Twitter just uh, said, much easier to win. This is in regards to Pat Narduzzi being a candidate for the possible job here. Much easier to win the ACC Colso than the Big Ten East. Don't think they're interested anyway. Narduzzi not going anywhere. Well, and I think that that's a really interesting point because that is actually true. Yeah, I mean, you do have to. If it, let let's take for example, uh, Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin. Okay, you each one of you just took jobs in a division where right now the best you probably can do at least early on is fifth, right? And that's I mean optimistic. I, I mean, are you are you going to be better than Alabama? Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M. That's your division. Yeah. Okay? Which those are by the way teams you play every year. Now, what Mississippi State did with Leach is they brought in a coach who plays a style while being for the lack of a better term, okay, and I apologize to Coach Leach, and I've been on Coach Leach's show before, so it's not when he was in that hiatus between jobs. Mm-hmm. I was on his show as a guest uh, on Sirius XM. Is quote gimmicky, okay, and I think in that job you have to have something like that that's a little bit different. Uh, they, I think, uh, let's take Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen at Mississippi State is considered to be 
their gold standard of coaches. Right? In the eight years he went to bowl games, oh, was he there, nine years? He went to bowl games eight out of the nine years he was there. And you know how many times he had a winning record in the SEC? Once. Okay? And he's their gold standard. That was, of course, the year he had, you know, when he had Dak Prescott and they got the number one. He's their gold standard. Right? And he had one winning SEC record at Mississippi State. So now that brings it back to this job and the point that was just properly made by Glenn Shirley. You're going to go into a division with Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. As opposed to being in the ACC, where guess what? Pat Narduzzi has coached in an ACC championship game because he did win the division. Are you going to be able to do that here with this job? And when you consider the recruiting base, I mean, look, the, the, it's going to be interesting to see how the next census turns out. And the census is being taken this year. And now we got Luke Joseph Catrillo in the mix. I mean, it just increased one. Uh, but the way but, he's growing, definitely. Yeah. and But Michigan was one of the two states in the country that lost population in the last census. So what's their recruiting base? Where do you go? Everywhere else. And you know, but and Penn State's had success in this state. They got KJ Hamler out of here. I mean, so it's not like Penn State's never come in here. Penn State's come into Michigan. They've been able to take guys, a running back here and there along the way. Well, Anthony Zettel, who just yeah, played true. the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, they've come in here and they've been able to get guys. Allen Robinson. Yeah. They can get more I mean, guys now. You no, know, I mean that's that's if that's if you want them. But I'm saying that's your recruiting base. That's your, that's that you put the protractor down and you draw the circle, the radius around your campus. Well, how much talent is there in that radius? Not saying there isn't any. There certainly is, but is it's not the depth of talent there was 20, yeah. 30 years ago when the car industry in this state was. I mean, where this state owned the car industry worldwide. It's not like, it, I mean, they still have it here, but it's a different industry, and it's also a different workforce now in this state than it was 35 years ago. And uh, the, the fact is that uh, the number of available high school students to go into higher education in, Miss, in Michigan has really declined over the last 10 years in addition to the population. More importantly, the high school youth coming up. Um, so they're going to, they may need to get a coach that's got um, connections to Florida or Texas or Georgia. I don't, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, is Mike Tressel, who's now the acting head coach, I mean, is he a guy they look at? I mean, because again, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know all the ins yeah. and outs of Mike Tressel. He's been on the staff for a long time here, so it's um, not like he hasn't been. Well, he's got uh, connections Chuck, in Youngstown. Right. I mean, Chuck Bull is too young. Mm-hmm. All right, he's too young. Um, you know, Mike Warner's the offense uh, had been the offensive coordinator. Steve, uh, you know, I mean, they, I mean, they again they flip flop that staff around yeah. so much. But Steve, there's a more important thing with uh, this coaching vacancy and needing to fill it, given what is going on within the program. 
and the problems they have faced. I think a college president and a board of trustees are going to look at this and really not to malign the guys that are there now as assistants, but they've got to look outside the program. Too much baggage inside the program, whether whether that's fair or not. I think you make a very interesting point. And again, when it comes to the college president, I don't know who the college president is here. Because remember, John Engel was here as an interim, and I don't know what the deal is with that because they had such a house cleaning here. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, because Mark Hollis is no longer the athletic director. Right. Uh, All that scandal about that team physician just it literally cleaned house at MSU. Right. I mean, Brad. I mean, Bill Beekman's now the athletic director. But when you look at their staff, Brad Salem is their offensive coordinator. Now, Dave Warner had been the offensive coordinator, but they changed that. They moved him out. Don Treadwell's been here for a while. Jim Bowman, the offensive lineman, has been here. Uh, offensive line coach, has been here a while. Mark Staten, the tight end special teams coach, been here a while. Then you look at the, the defensive coordinator. Mike Tressel's the defensive coordinator and the linebacking coach. Ron Burton's been here for, I mean, almost, what, he's been here for a long time. Chuck Pola, their defensive ends coach. Paul Haynes is the uh, uh, is the secondary coach. Uh, he's been here a short period of time. And Terrence Samuel's the defensive backfield coach. But they've had people who've been here a long time, and they just reshuffled that that offensive staff. So, I mean, and I agree with you. I think they'll go outside the program to do it. And, look, it's February. And because it's February, I think you've got a little more time to make a decision. Well, you do, but Steve, you know, uh, when's spring practice going to take place? you got to have some... Uh, it would be, spring practice here would be in mid to late, would be in mid-March. So I, I would say right around March the 17th or 18th Whoa. is when they start. When I mean they have time. I think yeah. they've, got two, they've got two weeks. Yeah, I'm going to say time is not six weeks. Right, they've got two weeks here. And uh, you would and hope, who knows? And who knows when Bill Beekman told him? One, I mean, when he told Bill Beekman, it may not yeah. have been today. He may have told him a few days ago, so he could at least start to figure out what to do. Steve, you've known all of the Penn State athletic directors going back a few years. Would it be fair to say that an athletic director has somewhere in his side drawer a list of possible? head coaches for virtually every sport in the program. Always. If, yes. Always. All right? And so, uh, and Sandy Barber, I can tell you, let's just let's just take her right away. Sure. Because, I mean, you know, look, Jim Tarman was like that. Tim Tim Curley was like that. Yeah. You know, they, they had a, a good feel of what the landscape was around them at all times. Yes. In case anything happened. Sandy's very much like that. Sandy's very organized and uh, and those he, people she would identify if something were to happen. Sure. All right. So, and that would be the same thing. I mean, any organized athletic director would be that way. I All mean, right. Let's. We, we need to take a break. Yeah. Uh, one more break because. Um, um, Suits had a big month. He has sold all these commercials, so we've got to make sure it pays off here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Well, you have one show in mind, and then at 3 o'clock another show breaks out. You know, Steve, uh, Matt and I were talking during the break. We think... Oh, I think that's good for you guys to talk about. It is. We bond. (laughs) Um, 
I, he asked for parenting tips, and I give them to him. Um, yes. Oh, you couldn't ask for better there. Exactly. Matt. And good um, man. we think that uh, Pat Narducci should take the Michigan State game, especially given the way he has coached against Penn State this past season. We think it would be a great choice. Yeah, it'd be a mistake. We want to put him right in the Big Ten. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. It'd be a mistake for both sides, really. For Narduzzi, yeah. because of what he's got in Pitt right now and the winning and all that, and for Michigan State because A, he worked under D'Antonio, you want to get rid of all that and it's just and plus I just don't think he's a good in game manager. Oh, I think kicking a field goal on fourth and one from the one yard line is a brilliant strategy. <laughs> just didn't it, it just didn't work out well, that's all. <laughs> Oh God! I know you. You take the. You can plead the fifth on that stuff, Steve. Well, that entire game, from his his perspective, I mean, I'm not somebody that's really that critical of coaches. As no, you know. I know you're not. But from my perspective, I I remember saying to Jack Ham after the game, I said, you know what really shocked me about this? I said I I made the wrong assumption that he was going to be ultra aggressive on everything he did in the game. I yeah. said, and every single call that he made in the game was very conservative on everything. Like, you know, fourth and one, I'm going to punt. You know, I mean, yeah. I said, now, it ends up being a 17-10 game. But I said, even the call on the field goal, I said, was like his pattern the entire day. He just, he acted like he didn't have enough confidence in his team. Yeah, and so... Yeah, I think he'd do well at Michigan State then. We'll look forward to that uh, game with the Lions and Michigan the Spartans every year with him at the helm. Chalk one up. Yeah. Yep. Steve, well, have a great time tonight uh, at the Breslin oh, yeah. Center. I'll be listening to you, and you and my good friend Dick Girardi, I think it'll be a great call. Absolutely. Thanks, guys.